All right. Um, so tonight, we're going to just really kind of focus on the question of how many Passovers did Jesus keep during his public ministry? Um, it's not an essential question. Is this going to include when he was crucified? Yes, actually it will. No, my view hasn't changed, but, um, and, and honestly, I didn't even know it was a question uh, in terms of the, really in asking this question, how many Passovers did Jesus keep during his public ministry, we're going to basically answer the question of how long was his public ministry. And I honestly did not even know that anybody thought his public ministry was only a year long until a, a, probably a couple of years ago when an acquaintance of mine uh, wrote an article uh, dispelling the, the, um, the popular myth that Jesus' ministry was three and a half years long. Um, and so I did a little research from that article and found that there are actually people who believe his ministry was only one year long. I'm not one of them. And I'm going to tell you why tonight I'm not one of them. And we're going to look at the scripture. Um, so, and for those who believe the ministry of Jesus was more than one year long, um, that means Jesus would have celebrated at least three Passovers because there are three named in the Gospel of John specifically. So let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll go and uh, we'll look at what the Scripture has to say about these things. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for our day. We ask that you would open our hearts and minds, and by your Spirit, teach us tonight, lead us into truth. Father, help us to be a people better equipped um, for these uh, questions that may come up. Lord, sometimes people who are skeptical of the Scripture... Uh, point out these things that they call inconsistencies, but they're really not inconsistencies. Your word is amazing, and if we will take the time to dig for treasure, it's, it's um, really quite incredible what we can find and how the Bible interprets the Bible for us. So, Father, teach us tonight, and we thank you for your word and for your grace and for the salvation we have in Jesus and it's in that name we pray. Amen. All right. <clears throat> How many Passovers did Jesus keep during, during his pub public ministry? Um, there seems to be, there are three for sure listed in John. Let's just look at these. So John chapter 2, verse 13 is the first one that we see listed here. John chapter 2, verse 13, says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So John 2.13 says that it was the Passover of the Jews that was at hand. <clears throat> and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. 
I'm tempted to go on, but I'm not going to go on there. Well, the reason I'm tempted to go on there is because then it goes on to say, he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. And when he made a whip of cords, he drove them out. And we know from the other gospels at the end of Jesus' public ministry, he goes into the temple at the, um, after the triumphal entry. Um, Mark uh, or Matthew's gospel, I, I think it's Matthew's, he goes right into Jerusalem, he goes right to the temple and drives out the money changers. Here in John's gospel, we have at the beginning of Jesus' ministry that he goes into the temple and drives out the money changers. I believe this is one of the places where people uh, who believe Jesus only had a one-year ministry think there's an error here in God's word because it erroneously records this at the beginning of... Um, I'm not sure why that would be the case. Why can't we just believe that Jesus went into the temple twice and drove out the money changers? Um, that's my personal view. So you might note here, John 2.13 specifically says a Passover. Now I'm going to skip over the next reference, which is John 5. Um, well, actually I won't. Let's just go in, in order of the gospel here. John 5, 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. It doesn't tell us what feast. It just says a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, it doesn't tell us specifically in John 5, 1 what feast it is, but we can know it was one of three feasts. It was either in order of the feast. It was either the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, or the Feast of Tabernacles. It was one of those feasts because those were the three feasts that God commanded every male to appear before him in the place in which he chose his name to dwell forever. And by the time Jesus is walking the earth, the city of Jerusalem, which housed the temple of God was the place that God commanded every male to appear before him three times a year, Passover, Pentecost, or tabernacles. So John 5 verse 1 is referring to one of these three feasts. It just doesn't tell us which one. So there are, there are scholars, and I'm not a scholar, um, in, in that sense of the word. I'm just a guy who likes studying my Bible. Scholars, there are scholars who say that this is not a Passover, and then they got reasons, but the majority view, I would say, and throughout most of history, most scholars believe this is a Passover, and... Um, the gentleman whose book I am studying, this giant tomb, the annals of the world, um, he believes it is also the Passover. And so it was really kind of interesting um, researching some of this. Um, and, and so anyways, you got this. 
which is sometimes not counted as one of the Passovers because it doesn't specifically say. So, um, for instance, um, I'm not going to go there now, but I think I copied it on your handout, the got question. Got questions? How, many, uh, how long was the ministry of Jesus? Well, got questions um, talks about this a little bit, and they don't list this as one of the Passover celebrated in John because it doesn't specifically say. But we're going to get back to this here in a little bit. But it was a feast of the Jews. The next one we see listed by name, specifically a Passover, is John 6, 4. John 6, 4. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Now, as you can imagine, you, you see what's happening in the scripture. And this is why we need to be, um, we need to be careful as we read the scripture, not just um, assume things. Uh, that we shouldn't be assuming. Uh, so in just a few pages of Scripture, we're, years are going by. A year has gone by from chapter, possibly from chapter 1 to chapter 6. We know at least a year has gone by from chapter 2 to chapter 6 uh, because chapter 2, verse 13, listed a Passover. Chapter 6, verse 4, lists it as a Passover. Then we come to the next specific reference to the Passover, and it's John eleven fifty five. John eleven fifty five. And in John eleven fifty five, it says, "And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves." So we have three specific references to the Passover in John's gospel, John 2.13, John 6.4, and John 11.55 through 57. That reference in John 11.55 through 57 is also what Paul references in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, when he refers to Jesus, our Passover, when he's talking about the ordinance of the, of the table, the Lord's table. And he refers to Jesus, our Passover. And it was at that, what I believe was the fourth Passover referred to in John eleven fifty five through 57, that Jesus became our Passover. And in becoming our Passover, Jesus fulfilled that feast that was given to the Jews 1,500 years before the birth of Christ at the first Passover in Egypt when God called his people out. And that night that he called his people out was the night of the 10th plague when God sent the death angel to kill all the firstborn of Egypt. That would have included the firstborn of Israel had Israel not obeyed. And, and any Israelite that did not obey God's command to sacrifice a lamb and apply the blood to the doorpost of their dwelling, any Israelite who did not keep that command would have been killed that night if they were the firstborn, the first to open the womb. Firstborn male, that is. And so since that night in Egypt, the Jews have kept the Passover. And in keeping the Passover, that feast was pointing us to Jesus, 
who is our Passover. But not just Passover, all the feasts. All the feasts have been fulfilled by Jesus. We're not waiting for a feast of trumpets, which is a rapture. We're not waiting for uh, the Day of Atonement, which is the great white throne judgment, to fulfill that feast. We're not waiting for tabernacles when the Lord comes back and dwells here on earth with his people to fulfill tabernacles. It's already been fulfilled. How do we know that? Because Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He abides in us and we abide in him. He is Emmanuel, God with us. That's what he was prophesied to be before he was born. And so, is God with you? Is Christ with you? Christ in you, the hope of glory? Are we waiting for Christ to come tabernacle with us? No. You are, you are the tabernacle of Christ. You are where Christ is tabernacling right now by the Holy Spirit. And that means Christ has fulfilled all the feasts. There are, they are already fulfilled in him. But we're talking about the Passover. So let's specifically look at John chapter 5, verse 1. Let's go there and let's look at this feast. After this, John 5, 1, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So, what do we know for certain from this first verse of John chapter 5? What do you know for certain in that very short verse? What can you know for certain? Huh? He went up to Jerusalem. Why did he go? Because there was a feast of the Jews. So we can know for certain there was a feast of the Jews. And we can know for certain because there was a feast of the Jews, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. When did he go up to Jerusalem according to this verse? After. After. Yeah, that's important. After this. Well, that should make us wonder what after what? Well, to do that, what do we have to do? We have to go back. So let's go back and see what this was after this. What was this that Jesus, after this, went up to Jerusalem? And if you've got a Bible that's got headings, you, you see where uh, in John uh, chapter 4, verse 46, Jesus heals the nobleman's son. He came to Cana of Galilee, where he had made water wine, where he had. So that's past tense. When did Jesus make water wine in Cana of Galilee? At the end of his ministry or at the beginning of his ministry? It was at the very beginning of his ministry. But this is the same place. This was the same place. He's in Cana of Galilee, and he, same place he made water wine, he heals a certain nobleman's son. Okay, that doesn't give us a lot of clues. 
Then we go back up in uh, verse 43. It says, after two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. Oh, well, where was he departing from when he went to Galilee? We're working backwards on the timeline, on the chronology here. What are we trying to figure out? We're trying to figure out what feast this possibly was that caused Jesus to go up to Jerusalem. Well, it says, after two days, he departed from there. Where is there? He departed from there and went to Galilee. Where did he depart from? It, who can tell me? Oh, come on. This is not... Guys, like a treasure hunt, right? You just keep reading backwards. Keep reading backwards. It's going to tell you where he departed from. Where did he depart from? In your Bible, where did he depart from? Samaria. Samaria, yes. Verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him. Why? Because of the word of the woman who testified. We back up a little farther. Let's just back all the way up to the beginning of chapter 4. And what's it say? Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So at the beginning of John chapter 4, what do we see? Jesus is leaving Judea and he's going through Samaria and he's going back up to Galilee. So he's headed north from Jerusalem back up to Galilee. And he's going to go through Samaria. Remember, we, I did a sermon on this about the woman of Samaria. In verse 5, he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Tells us what time of day it was, noontime. So he's in Samaria. He's at the city of Sychar in Samaria. Now, we're not going to go through all of this. He has the whole discourse with the woman at the well. And remember, he says to her, <clears throat> he, he tells her, go call your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you've said rightly you don't have a husband because you've had, you've had five husbands and the guy you're with right now is not your husband. And remember, she says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And so he sends her back to town. And when he, she's back in town, his disciples come. Let's pick up the conversation there in verse 27. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Though the implication is they're all wondering because she's a woman and she's a Samaritan woman. What are you doing talking to a Samaritan woman? The woman left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they went out from the city and came to him. They went out of the city and came to him. So she goes and tells the men of the city, I found the man who told me everything about my life. Could this be the Christ? And 
they, the men, went out from the city going where? Back to Jesus. In the meantime, while she's telling the men of the city, I found the Christ, and they start heading to meet the Christ. In the meantime, the disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. You need to eat something. You're going to get weak. And he said to them, I have food to eat, which you do not know. And they said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, here's, here's the verse we want to focus on. Do you not say, who's he talking to? His disciples. Do you not say, what's he implying here, do you not say? What might, what might, he's getting ready to tell them what, what they say. Meaning, do you not say, it's a common saying. In other words, everybody knows. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? It's a question he's asking them. He's saying, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Now, here's our key to knowing what feast John is referring to in John chapter 5, verse 1. Because we have a timeline established here. So we back up from John chapter 5, verse 1. And when we back up, we come to John chapter 4, verse 35, that gives us a very definite timestamp. And the timestamp here is there are still four months, and then comes the harvest. So if I said to you, there are still, do you not say there are still four months and then comes Christmas? When would I say that if I said that to you? Do you not say there are still four months and then comes Christmas? Huh? Somewhere around August, August 25th, August, September, October, November, December. Yeah, somewhere around August 25th. So if I said, someone just said to me, do you not say it's four months and then it's Christmas? When did they tell me that? About. You'd say somewhere toward the end of August. Yeah, that's right. So when Jesus says here, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? We need to know, when is the harvest? Huh? Now that's, that might not be a question quite as easy to answer. But it's, it's, it's not a question that we can't answer. You just have to do a little bit of digging to answer it. Now, what, what can we, what can we um, safely assume from this statement? Do you think his disciples, do you think it was a mystery to them when the harvest was? Not at all. And so let's read on just a little bit farther here. 
So Jesus asked them this question, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. Now, what do you think might be happening here? Do you think the fields really were white with harvest with grain? So, so what harvest, so if I ask you what harvest are we talking about, because there was more than one kind of harvest in Israel, but there was a time that was called the time of harvest. It's a specific time. And what specifically is is the harvest that Jesus is talking about here. Now, I'm not talking about metaphorically. I'm talking about a real harvest. What's he referring to when he says, do you not say in four months is the harvest? Barley. Followed by wheat. It's the grain harvest. Because grain grows where? In fields. So do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. He didn't say look at the trees. So he's not talking about olives or figs. He's talking about fields, which means he's talking about grain. So it's barley and wheat is the harvest he's referring to. There are still four months and then comes the harvest the harvest of grain. So now we're narrowing it down a little bit more. So now we know a specific time. There's a month, and if we count from this month plus four, we're going to come to a harvest. But which harvest is it? Well, it's the harvest that grows in fields, which tells us it's the grain harvest. So it's going to be the harvest that takes place in the springtime and early summer. Late spring, early summer. So we've narrowed our timeline down a little bit more. But based on what Jesus is saying here, there should not be a harvest in the field yet. Because it's four months before the harvest. But yet he says, behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look. Behold, that's like a... He's saying, I want you to look and see something very important here, something you're not expecting to see, something you're not looking for. Don't look for grain, look for something else. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And so what he's looking at there are these Samaritans coming across the field to meet the Messiah the woman's telling them about. He's not talking about grain because it's four months before the harvest and the fields aren't anywhere close to being ready for harvest. So what he's pointing them to is a a visual symbol of a harvest. It's a harvest of souls. It's a harvest of people. And, And what people? Samaritans. Not Jews, but Samaritans. So there's all kinds of theological implications to that here. 
uh, that we don't have time to talk about because we're not talking about theology tonight. We're talking about chronology. We're talking about a timeline. So, so we know this is four months before the grain harvest. So what, when would this be? Now, did the, uh, did the Jews use the Gregorian calendar in Jesus' day? No. Do the Jews use the Gregorian calendar today? Well, some of them do because the world does, but they have their own calendar. They have their own calendar and have their own months. So, let's go... Back to our sheet here. Now, <clears throat> I, um, I've, I, so we know that the Jews um, had lots of traditions, and they had lots of, they had oral traditions, they had written traditions, they had what was called the Talmud, they had the Mishnah, they had all these rabbinic writings. Now, they didn't so much have all of that what they have today. A lot of that was written later on. But by the time Jesus is walking the earth, at this time, these oral traditions that were written down in the immediate time of Jesus and in the centuries following, these were traditions that the Jews had for many centuries, going all the way back to their Babylonian captivity. That's why much of this comes from what's called the Babylonian Talmud. And so there's this thing called the Bava Metzia. I had to look all this up because I'm like, what the heck is that? Never heard of it. Well, the Bava Metzia is basically civil laws for the Jews about all kinds of things. And so these were the, the traditions, the oral traditions that became... They wrote them down and they became their traditions for their civil laws. And there was a civil law about crops. What happens if my crops get damaged? What happens if someone damages my crops? Well, they had all of that based on the scripture, based on God's law, the Mosaic law. And, and then they would write out these, these things. Well, it's interesting so when you talk about the laws, the civil laws governing crops, where's their foundation? Well, their foundation is in the Word of God, so it goes back to Genesis 8.22. And from Genesis 8.22, which says, While the earth remains, planting and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. And from Genesis 8.22, the Jews believe that there are six seasons because that's what they see in Genesis 8.22. Now, we say there's four seasons, winter, spring, summer, and fall. All you got to do is call. But the Jews said there were six seasons. So let's look at Genesis 8.22. While the earth remains, planting and harvest and cold, and heat, and summer, and winter. Those are your six seasons. And from Genesis 8.22, the Jews 
all knew. Here's how the calendar, the seasons are divided out on the calendar. And here it is. The second half of Tishri, all of Marheshvan, and the first half of Kislev are the days of planting. That's the first season, planting. The second half of Kislev, all of Tetzvet, and the first half of Shavat are the winter days. There's the second season, winter. The second half of Shavat, all of Adar, and the first half of Nisan are the period of cold. There's season number three. Now, Nisan should be a familiar name to you because Nisan is the month in which Passover occurs. The second half of Nisan, all of Yar, and the first half of Sivan are the harvest period. The second half of Sivan, all of Tammuz, and half of Av are the summer season. While the second half of Av, all of Elul, and the first half of Tishri are the season of heat. So this is how the Jews divided their seasons, based on the months of the year. So I made a little chart for you here. So let's go back to what Jesus said, four months until harvest. And we know the harvest ended in the first half of Sivan. That's when it ends. So if we count backward from the end of the harvest, four months, what do we come to? Well, the second half of, or the first half of Sivan, that's half a month, is the end of the harvest. The harvest is also all of the month of Ilyar, that's the middle of the harvest. And then the beginning of the harvest is the second half of Nisan. That's, that's the beginning. So you take one half and one half, add it to a whole, and you got two months there. The first half of Nisan, so you go from the second half to the first half, all the month of Adar, and then the second half of Shavat. So another two half months and a whole month. And what do you come up with? You have four months. So if we count four months back from the end of the harvest, what month do we end up in? The month of Shavat. And when is the month of Shavat in relation to our calendar? I put a little calendar chart on there for you so you can see the Hebrew months in their equivalent Gregorian months, the months that we go by. So Shavat is equivalent to our January and February. Do you have a question? You could count. You could count either way. You could, and you're going to come up with the same thing. So if you count at the beginning of Shavat. 
if you if you do that, yeah. Well, you you could, if you assume it's the beginning of the harvest, but the harvest, the point is the harvest, the, when, what, what was the season of harvest? Until the harvest. The way the Jews counted their seasons, the season called harvest was the second half of Nisan, all of Iyar, and the first half of Sivan. So when they talked about the harvest, they were talking about the, the entire season of harvest. Now you, so it, it works really either way, whether you want to count it, for, it to the beginning or the end. But the point is, the season of harvest is in that time. And if you count back to uh, four months, you're either going to come to the second half of Shavuot or you're going to come to the first of Shavuot. You're going to come somewhere in there. And if we're at Shavat, and Shavat is, is our January or February, and when is Passover? What month is Passover? Nisan. Equivalent to our March or April. So let's just say uh, January. February, March, April. So you got all of January, all of February, all of March, all of April. You're, you're, you're going to be somewhere in there depending on how the calendar falls. So a feast of the Jews, a feast in which every male was commanded to come, the only feast that would work when we count four months until the harvest, the only feast that will work is Passover. It, it can't be Pentecost, and it can't be Tabernacles. Passover is the only month that will work. And so when we go back to John chapter 5, verse 1, and it says, a feast of the Jews... It would be reasonable, and I'm sure there are people who uh, would, would disagree perhaps, but I'm, I'm not sure. If we take the words of Jesus and we take based on how the Jews divided their seasons on their calendar, we're going to come to the time of Passover. It's going to fall somewhere in there. It's, and it's all going to be dependent upon because they had a lunar calendar. So, you know, this is why we celebrate Easter Sunday. Easter's always on um, a certain Sunday of the year. It's not on a fixed date. But for the Jews, Passover is on a fixed date. And it doesn't matter what day that is. We know that Jesus was resurrected on first fruits, which is always our Sunday, because it's always the first day of the week after Passover. That's the feast of first fruits. And that was the beginning that so it was harvest season. So that's when the first 
sheave of barley was waved, but the harvest was that entire time. So they wouldn't have been thinking about it just as, because when was the first day of harvest? Well, we know when the first sheave was waved, it was waved on the first fruit, uh, at first fruits. But we want to have this hard and fast, like it's got to be this day, and, and it's, you need to think of it more of the season. And the season spanned basically two months. And if you count until the harvest, when the harvest is over, and I think, it, I think it's not unreasonable to think about the completion of the harvest, then the only feast it can be is Passover. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. After what? After Jesus made the statement you say four months and then the harvest. And so in four months will be the time of the harvest, which brings us to the time of Passover. And that season that begins the season of harvest. And if that is true, then John chapter 5 Verse 1 is a Passover. That is the feast. And if that is a Passover, and I think you can make a reasonable argument that it is, then Jesus celebrated four Passovers in his earthly ministry. The last one being the Passover in which he fulfilled every Passover ever celebrated because he became our Passover. All right, any, any thoughts, any questions? On this uh, chart for the Jews? Um, I guess because they had 13 months. But you see they're, they're um, uh, yeah. March and April. Well, that's a question I don't know the answer of. John, do you know the answer to that question? There's, two, there's 13 months and two of them say March, April, Adar 2 and Nissan. Well, let's see if we can find the answer to that. Right. Well, I have to do a little research, but I know they've got 13 months there. So I can't answer that question for you tonight. But that's a... In, in this chart on the, the 
Uh-huh. Oh. Let me find that colorful chart. Do what? Yeah, I don't have the answer to that either. I don't think it. I I don't think it's a. Now see that one only has twelve months. Huh? So that's in leap years? Mm. Where is my... I'll do a little um I'll do a little research in some of these are Babylonian names. That's mostly what they go by. So I did that one calendar uh, just so that you would see how the feasts correspond to our calendar. So if we look at that... Um, What they call shelters on that calendar is booths or tabernacles. On that colorful one. All right. So, Caleb, did you have any thoughts about uh, the number of Passovers? You kind of cringed when uh, we, we were. No, I was just curious uh, because I was reading in the Gospel of Matthew when Christ was, um, you know, going to have a meal mm -hmm. and then a Passover. And I was wondering if you were going to, you know, touch on that Passover. I never... It, it wasn't a Passover? Well, no, the last, the, the oh. meal before the Passover, then, you know, that's what I was interested hmm. in talking about. But I never heard the idea that that was the only Passover that you would have celebrated, or maybe they don't count that one. That would have been what we call the Last Supper? Yeah. I yeah. mean, because he died on Passover, right? Right. 
So there are people who uh, there are um, there are people who don't believe that was a Passover. Yeah, that the Last Supper was not a Passover. It was another type of special dinner he had with his disciples. But, um, um, Wait, do you think it was the Passover? I think he was celebrating the Passover with his disciples. It was not um, he would not have, yeah, he, he would have been crucified on Passover. He died on Passover to be our Passover lamb. No, 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 no. That, that supper has nothing to do with this counting. So there are four, there are three named Passovers in John that I believe Jesus celebrated. I believe the, the fourth is that one in John 5. That's not named specifically a Passover, but I believe if you do the counting like we just did, it has to be a Passover. No, no, no. I would say that's the fourth. That is the fourth. Yes. I count that one as the fourth. The, the one uh, spoken of in John eleven fifty five through 57. Sounds confusing to me. Yeah. What else? So you might, um, in, in the grand scheme of things, does it matter? In one sense, it doesn't, but in another sense, it does matter. And in, in the sense that I say it does matter is because we need to learn how to read our Bibles. We need to learn how to... Well, yeah, and, you know, the Bible is, doesn't contradict itself. The Bible is not... Um, God has given to us in his word what we need to know. He hasn't given us everything we could know, obviously. John says, you know, the world wouldn't contain all the books written. But he's given us what we do need to know. And there are people who are ignorant of God's word, who are unbelievers, whose mission in life is to turn people against God and to make them believe the Bible is not trustworthy. And they take these things that are not essential for our salvation... But I would also not say that they're unimportant. I think they're important because the Bible records it. So the feast that Jesus went up to Jerusalem to celebrate that's not named specifically, it's important enough that the Bible included it. And it tells us something about the timeline of Jesus' ministry on earth. And so, you know, um, the article that came out uh, a year two ago, in the Taylor paper, basically saying, and it's what the article said, there's an error in the Bible, and this error in the Bible is what makes people think commonly that Jesus' ministry was three and a half years, 
when it wasn't. It's only a year. Well, when I look at something like that, um, I think, okay, you better do more than just write an article and put it in the paper because in my opinion, all you've done is just confuse a whole bunch of people. And you, in confirming that uh, there's an error in the Bible, yet the Bible is, you know, we, can, we, we should believe the Bible, yet there's an error in the Bible. No, I don't believe there's an error in the Bible. There could be a typo in this Bible I have here, but you understand the typo in my Bible is not an error in the Word of God. God's word doesn't have an error because John's gospel says Jesus went in at the beginning of that gospel and drove out money changers in the temple doesn't mean that John got confused or that John said that first, but we know it really happened last. No, I'm just going to take the Bible at face value. And when it says he went in and drove out money changers at the beginning of John, I believe he went out and drove, went in and drove out money changers. And when it says he did it at the end, right before his crucifixion, I believe he did it again at the end, right before his crucifixion. And I don't think there's any reason for us to not. Why would you not believe that? Why is that out of the realm of possibility? If you read the Bible and you see like in the Old Testament, the, typo the typology mm -hmm. and the repetition of how God tells the stories and how he very often bookends mm -hmm. chunks yeah. The redemptive story with the same kinds right. of things. It's not surprising at all. Absolutely. And the fact that it may be difficult for us, so far removed from mm -hmm. the geographical context or the cultural context, you yeah. know, we should not assume an error, obviously. Yeah. But also, like, we should not assume that just because it's not right on the surface for us yes. and spoon fed to us. That it's not meant to be yeah. known or it's impossible. Absolutely. A little digging in the geography, in the timeline, in the culture yeah. will give us the a lot of these kinds of answers. And it's yeah. really not that difficult. Yeah. And that, it may still be debatable, but it's not. Right, right. And, and it's not even that. So the Bible is not always chronological the way we think of chronology. But the Bible gives us these clues. So that's why we went through this exercise at the beginning, starting in John chapter 5, verse 1, and we look at after this. Okay, so we just keep backing up on the timeline the Bible is giving us. So John is writing here, and he's giving us a chronology, and he says, this happened after this, and then that happened after that. Well, you just keep backing up in, in the chronology given there, and you're going to, it'll take you to a place just like we looked at, four months until the harvest. Oh, there's our timestamp. So we, we have a very good idea now when Jesus, of when Jesus is making this statement. And based on that, now we can go back forward and, and we can say, okay. That feast must be this feast based on this timeline. We're not looking at, do we know exactly what day of the, you know, the week? I'm not even saying you couldn't get to that if you follow the calendars. But I'm saying that's, that's not even, that's not important in terms of this. But I do think it is important to, 
to be able to discern those things and to dig out those things so that when you see someone or hear someone say something who they make a statement based on either a misinterpretation or they just assume something that they should not be assuming because they really don't know how to read the Bible or maybe they do and we're just going to agree on what we're reading and that's fine. But you need to know that there's a way to read and study your Bible to get to, get to those answers. And so you don't start with the hard things. You start with the obvious things. You, you start with what we know to be true. There was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up. Okay, from there, let's work backwards and let's figure out what this might be. And, um, and you can do that. And that's a great point, just like the bookend, that you see this very often. So this is why it's important to read your Old Testament too. You know, a lot of modern day Christians don't like reading the Old Testament because they don't think it's relevant. It is absolutely relevant. You'll never understand the New Testament if you don't read the Old Testament. And you will not understand how God works in, in, in his story if you don't read the Old Testament because he's not working a different way today than he has always worked. We're not saved a different way today than we were saved in Genesis. We're, we've always been saved by grace through faith. It's always been by grace. It's always been through faith. Always, always, always. And so seeing this language, what kind of language does God use when he's bringing judgment upon a nation? There's very specific language throughout the Old Testament. Come to the New Testament, does he use the same language? Absolutely he does. Matthew 24, read it. Matthew 24, the language Jesus uses is the language of judgment used throughout the Old Testament. It's why when you read Matthew 24, Jesus is not talking about some yet future thing that's, gonna, that's still to happen. He's talking about something that's already come to pass. It was yet to happen in his generation, that generation, but that generation that Jesus specifically pointed to, this generation will not pass. Guess what? That generation passed 2,000 years ago. And with the passing of that generation was the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And God's judgment came upon Israel, came upon Jerusalem, came upon that generation for their rejection of their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus told them exactly what would happen. And it absolutely came to pass. And Jesus is not a false prophet. He's not. And the Bible proves he's not. And history proves he's not. And so don't be afraid to let your Bible guide you even when it goes against what someone may say or someone may challenge you. Learn how to get in there and dig out the treasure that's in the Word of God because it's in there and it will, it will help you understand and, and that's very important for us. All right, any other questions? Any other thoughts? Yes, ma'am. Can I just ask one Yes. Okay. Just like uh, eating monkey 
think about it. A couple of years ago, as I reported five or six years ago in Liberia, West Africa, there is a TV we have there, a TV station that we have there. It's a cable TV. It's called God TV. God TV. Yeah. Yeah. At the bottom of the Red Sea. And as they were bringing it out, we were stepping down in Liberia. We were so amazed. We were watching it. And they tested some of those things and they were proving to be complete gold. And based on what ancient history had proven, those are the materials. Mm. They found wheels. They found different components. And they put them together. There were several chariots. Uh -huh. And they believed that those were the actual chariots. Some of the actual chariots. Yeah. Right. What am I saying? I'm saying that um, God has given us everything based on what He says. Uh -huh. That pertains to life and godliness, and we all are without excuse if we don't go and seeking it, when going yeah. and finding it. Because just like our children, two, three, four, six months old, would try to get the food to try to be operated. Mm -hmm. You know, we can all find things even on the because we are in the IT age. Amen. And the thing is. I, I'd love to see those discoveries, and you know, I always say there, there it again, there it is again. Science proving the Bible. Um, you know, the Bible doesn't prove science. Uh, we're not waiting for science to to help us uh, so we can believe. No, we have the Word of God, and we believe the Word of God. And it doesn't matter what science says. What what rules is what God says. And what we've seen throughout history is science coming around to God's Word. And, and it will continue to do that. So we've already got the truth. We've got God's Word, so just believe it. But, but it also says, God says in the Proverbs, that it's the honor of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the honor of kings to search out a matter. And so God has given us the honor to dig for treasure in His Word, and we should do it. And it is glorious. All right, any other thoughts? Yes, sir. You mentioned earlier about unbelievers being ignorant. Uh-huh. I think the unfortunate circumstance is that believers are ignorant of yeah. as well. And for us to have confidence uh, with the life of Christ, we better 
Mm-hmm. We need to know the word. Yeah, we do. Yeah. That's why we promote the Bible reading challenge here and we're getting ready to, we're coming to the end of the Bible and starting in June, I believe, we'll start the New Testament. So June, July, August, you'll read the entire New Testament and then starting in September, we start over and in nine months, you follow the plan, you'll read the entire Bible in nine months and you will have read the New Testament twice in a year and the entire Bible once in a year if you just follow this plan. And it's important to do that. Um, and it's important to read devotionally like that, to just read through the Word of God and let that Word soak in you. I'm not saying do that in place of your Bible study, your specific study, do both. But there is something you get from just reading God's Word, I mean, beginning in Genesis and reading all the way through to the end, beginning in Matthew, reading all the way through the New Testament, there's something you get from that that you will not get from just going around and reading around your Bible based on problems, challenges, things. You, you need to read the whole counsel of God in its context, and it will help you understand and get a picture of God that you cannot get any other way. You just can't. You can't. And if you want to do that, we'll help you. We have people here that will help you. They know how to get it. The app downloaded on your phone where it's just real easy every morning. You just, you just on your phone. You can read it. You can listen to it. it, it it's so easy.